What you are about to hear is a lesson taught in the Baird and Born Essentials class. For more information, or to download all the resources made available in this class, click the link in the episode description or visit barrettandborn.com. And now, this week's Essentials class. We're on the Creed. The first article of the Creed uh, is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The second article that we just finished last week was, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And today we go on to, oh, excuse me, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And today we go on to the third article of the Creed, which is very simply and succinctly, I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's very short, it doesn't articulate much, and it's just one simple line, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But it's necessary, it has to be part of it because we believe in a trinity, Father and the Son and Holy Spirit. So there's a lot that we could talk about in regard to the Holy Spirit, um, but I want to, um, I'm going to pare it down and talk about what I think is important so that we could at least grasp who he is uh, and make it a, an, a, a part of our spirituality. So... Today I want to talk about you about these three R's, all right? They erased my portion on Jesus. I guess the teenagers thought that I was done. So um, you'll remember my drawings up there. So but, but hopefully uh, you understand who Christ is, what his work is, what his work is right now, and what his work will be by what we talked about so far. But I want to talk about these three R's. And if, if, there's, if there's a way to understand the, the fasting of 40 days or the, the, this, this time of, of, of repentance or, or, or uh as penitential time or a time of, as we said, the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is what we do during this time as we lead up to Easter. These are the, this is the best way to describe it. Um, the most famous thing that you hear about this time period is, what are you giving up for Lent? That's probably the most famous. When people talk about these 40 days, they'll ask that question. Although that's a, a, a valid thing to do during the time, it's, we, we give up, uh, fasting is the abstaining from or the giving up of something that is a a uh, thinking of a word here, a luxury, a, a dainty, something like that, right? It is time to give up that. I told you before, I said, uh, this, this time is, a time of prayer and fasting is not the time to start a new Netflix series. It's not the time to uh, make uh, creme brulee for dessert, right? It's the time to a uh, little bit more humility, a little bit more simpleness. But it's not just simply uh, just giving up something for the sake of giving up something. Second, it's not for the purpose of becoming your best self, right? This fasting is not equivalent to an episode of Oprah. It's not your best self. It's not just becoming a better you. So I want to describe it this way so you understand because, like I, as I said before, fasting is not really well understood oftentimes in the church, especially today. But Jesus said when he leaves, his disciples will fast. So here's, here's what it is. Three things that I want you to remember about uh, this time. So number one, and forgive me if I can't write on the board really well. These are three thoughts. Okay. Three thoughts that I want you to remember when it comes to fasting, and it's these three right here. Rem- we are, it's a time of remembering, it's a time of repentance, and it's a time of returning. So uh, in the Old Testament, we are told... Uh, you've heard this phrase before, remember, O man, that thou art dust, and to dust that thou shalt return. It's a time to recall what it is that we really are. It's a time that we remember that regardless of what you accomplish in this world, regardless of what name you make for yourself in this world, 
regardless of what you accumulate in this world, uh, the person next to you, 100 years from now or 200 years from now, will be indistinguishable from who you are because you will both be returned to the dust. And so knowing that, we work backwards. Knowing that I will return to dust, if it is proper for me to understand that I will die, I must understand why I will die, and therefore to know how to die helps me know how to live. And so the first thing that we do is we remember that we're dust. And in doing so, we do an act of humility. We humble ourselves. We do walk around very much so like we're never gonna die, right? We walk around like we're not gonna die. We walk around like we are the greatest thing that ever happened. We walk around like this thing that is a minor inconvenience to us is a major mountain. We walk around like this thing that we really, really want and have to have. You know, children, when they're, when they're young and they're not yet developed, the loss of a, a, a chicken tender could be significant for them, right? It's, and, and, and that seems to us who are mature silly, like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry, McDonald's gives you nine chicken nuggets instead of 10. But to them, this is a huge injustice, right? But you and I being wiser understand I'm pausing to wonder because if they gave me nine, I would be frustrated. <laughs> it just kind of crossed my mind where I was like, I really want that 10th nugget. But you and I understand that's not. But we treat material things and we treat um, who we are. I, I can't believe that somebody, I mean, think about how mad you get when somebody, there, there's someone will be behind me and they'll like honk, 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 and they're honk, 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 and then they go around me, and then where do we both end up? At the same stoplight, right? Boy, you got real excited about that, and where did it get you? Absolutely nothing except you burned a lot of gas really fast. And nowadays, so a, a, we must remember that the way that we treat things in this life, whether it's materials, our possessions, our accomplishments, or our own name, uh, it's, it's sometimes equivalent to what we might look to in a child when God is looking at us, right? And he's looking at us and going, you are obsessed with this thing. It's a priority in your life. And if we pause to be humbled or to recall that we are returning to the dust, we might be able to work backwards and live our lives in a different manner. And so the first thing that we do when we fast is we remember or we humble ourselves. We remember what we truly are, right? That we're not uh, greater than we are, nor are we less than we are. I don't, there's, a, there's a big push um, in popular culture to make it look like humanity itself is a bad thing. I don't, I don't know if you noticed this. Everything that humans do, they ruin it. They ruin the environment. They ruin this. They ruin that. Okay, it's true, right? But when they say things like, oh, the world would be a better place without humans, it's just not true because God <laughs> created us to be here. Now, the, the, the solution, again, this is the, the world solution. The solution to human sin is it would be better if you were never here, right? That's what, remember when Job said, uh, Job's wife, curse God and die, Job. Like, what's the point of this? It would be better if you were never here. Well, our solution is not that it's better than we, that we were not here. Our solution is that Christ comes, dies for us, gives us new life, rises from the dead, and gives us that resurrection as well, because he's going to restore us, right? And so we're not greater than we are, nor are we less than we are, but we remember that we're, that we're dust, that God created us that way. And the second thing is that it's a time of repentance. Repentance is a dislike. It is a, it is a craving to get away from something. Um, this morning, my dog was, you know those rubber Kong balls, and you put like the peanut butter inside of it? Okay, this morning, my dog was eating one of those. And when he was done... He brought it back into the kitchen, dropped it on the floor. It rolled a little bit, and it had his slobber all over it. It had 
remnants of peanut butter all over it. And now it had floor all over it, right? Whatever hair or whatever he had dropped on the floor. And he picked it back up and he started eating it. And I was revolted just for a moment. I looked at it like, Ew, why are you touching that? It's so disgusting. Your, your, your own spits all over it, right? Repentance is such, right? Repentance is seeing the things that we've accepted as normal life, realizing that they're sinful, that they're evil, that they're harmful to us and to our neighbors and becoming revolted by them and trying to get away from them. I'm trying to put something off. So a season of repentance is, is more about trying to put something off because it's a stain to us. It's ugly to us. It's, it's um, uh, I, the other day. So I'm reading Deuteronomy. Here, are you ready for this one? Ugh. I'm reading the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is wild. I feel like I haven't read it in a long time. Uh, it, it kind of, I said this to you before, it summarizes the whole uh, first few books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and it just summarizes it very clear. But it's like this, this, this points of the law. If this happens, I want you to do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's really how to run your life. And I've noticed in this the amount of personal responsibility it's, that is in the book of Deuteronomy that I am supposed to be caring for my neighbor and caring for things that I'm supposed to do even if no one sees it, right? So it's like if you see an animal... Uh, an ox running in the field and your neighbor hasn't seen it, it's still your obligation to catch the ox, hold it, wait for your neighbor to get home and then let them know you found it. You can't be like, oh, never mind. No, I didn't see it. Don't worry about it, right? So I'm reading all this. There's one of them where it says if you, if you build a house and you don't put a battlement or like a kind of a fence on your roof and your neighbor climbs your roof and falls off, it's your fault because you should have taken care to make sure that your house is safe. And I'm like, wow, this is a lot of responsibility. This is important. So I'm paying my bills and I noticed that I got my furnace fixed 10 days ago. I gave them my credit card, right? And they, they never charged me. And I, at first I'm like, jackpot. I just, made, I just made $500. And then it hits me, Deuteronomy, it's my responsibility to still do it. It's my responsibility to not steal from my neighbor even if this guy was, didn't charge me. So I, I, I called my Samantha and I was like, do I have a moral obligation to? It's <laughs> like, yeah, we do. Okay, all right, all right, all right, here we go. So I'm going to call them. I'm giving them 30 days first because I figured it, I don't want to get charged twice. But I'll be giving them 30 days and I'll call. But again, that's the, that is supposed to be, and, I, and I, I trust me, I'm not good at this, but that's the, that's the point of repentance. It's to be repelled by the idea that I might cheat or harm somebody and to turn from it and try to get away from it. And then returning, if you remember the story of the, the prodigal son. He's sitting there. He had told his father, give me everything that's mine. Give me my inheritance, even though you're not dead, and I'm going to go spend it. And he goes and he spends it on food, drink, and prostitutes. He ends up being broke. He goes to serve a guy, and he starts living in their pig pen. And when the farmer comes out to feed the pigs, he's eating what the pigs eat. He's sitting in the mud eating what the pigs eat, and he says, actually... I'd be better off just being a servant in my father's house than to be sitting here eating these pigs. And he says, I will return to my father and I will say to him, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Let me at least be your servant. So he gets up out of the pig pen. He runs back to the father, uh, to his father. And the scripture tells us that when the father sees him from afar off, he comes running out to greet him. He's not sitting back like a judge, like, oh, I don't trust you. He goes running out to meet him. And the son says this. The son doesn't even get a chance to say what he says to the father. He doesn't even get a chance to say, I'm no longer worthy. It's just his coming back. The father sees him and says, get the, the best robe, the best ring, kill the calf, and we're going to have a party. And that's what the father does. And he celebrates. He says, because this, my son was lost, and now he has returned home. And so the third portion of fasting in a season of repentance is that we return to God. Fasting where we are not also chasing after or desiring to learn about God is pointless. You might lose a few pounds. 
right? That's, that's really all it'll do. So I want you to remember this. We remember who we are. We have a spirit of humility. We repent of our sins where we put off. We, did, we put off those things that are evil. And then we return to God and we come to him to try to learn of him and grow and, and meet with him again. Now, I want you to hold that in your mind because now we're going to move to uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. Member is a bad word. He's a person of the Trinity. He, there is the Father, there's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They, he is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. So remember, there is no hierarchy in the Trinity. One is not greater than the other. They're co-equal. God from God, true light from true light. They, they're consubstantial. They are three persons. Now, who they are, I said this before, who they are is defined by their relationship functionally to each other. The Father is the Father because he begets the Son right? The son is the son because he's begotten of the father, but Jesus is begotten, not made, right? It starts getting complicated. I've said this, there's no good example of what the Trinity is because there's nothing that is like the Trinity. It's, it's unique in its, uh, in its characteristic. So the son is begotten of the father and the, the spirit, the Holy Spirit proceeds from or comes from the father and the son. So this is my best example of the Trinity. And I'm sure that someone who is a better theologian than me will tell me why it's wrong, but just hear me out on it, okay? This is my best understanding of the Trinity. The Father is the, is the one who speaks. The Son is the word that the Father is speaking. And the Spirit is the breath on which the word is carried so that you hear it, okay? If you took away your breath, you can't talk. You can't make a noise, right? If you try... To make a noise without breath, you can't. And if you do make a noise, a breath is the thing that's carrying out, right? That's just the way our bodies work. Breath has to go through our uh, whatever that is. And then ha, it comes out in the word. So the father is speaking a word. The son is the word that you hear. But the reason that you hear it is because the spirit has carried it to you. Okay. So remember in the New Testament when Jesus would speak and he would speak in parables and some people would understand and some people don't understand. The difference is that the word of God can be seen and heard, but it can't be known unless God himself carries that to us and plants it within us and teaches us and lets us know. Okay. Last week, Pastor Andrew was singing. You remember, were you here last week? You remember at the end of the service, Pastor Andrew was singing. My, so it's my favorite thing. Now, he doesn't listen to this recording, so I can't, I'm not getting brownie points here. I can just tell you, honestly, since I was a little kid, I've had a crush on listening to Pastor Andrew sing. I'm telling you, I remember being 12 years old with a cassette tape. Remember cassette tapes? And we put the cassette tape into the tape player. I'm in the parking lot in my mom's white Z24, and she's in the Jewel, and I'm listening to Pastor Andrew sing The Harvest. Right, and I'm in the car, and he's—you know how he's got the little. My children say he yodels when he sings. He's not quite yodeling, but he's got a little southern gospel in him. And I'm in the car, like my voice is cracking, and I'm trying to—I'm trying to mimic him. So at the end of the service last week, he starts singing. I'm like, oh, this is my favorite part of the service, right? I'm, I want to—I want to—I'm—I'm really enjoying this, and so I'm always—my eyes are closed, and I'm like, oh man, Pastor Andrew's singing. I love it. Thomas Neisler, not so much, right? <laughs> Thomas Neisler's like, why does he always sing? Thomas Neisler is the, is the Spock of this church, if I, if I would, right? So very logical, let's say, why would you sing? There's no emotion that's necessary. Okay, but for me, I'm like, oh, man. But my kids, it's always a pain in the neck because whenever Pastor Andrew starts singing, my kids stop paying attention and they start making fun of me because I'm like, oh. and Hayden's like, look at that. Look at that right now. So Pastor Andrew's over here singing, if that isn't love, uh, that the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky. Um, and I'm sitting here going, oh man, this is amazing. And my kids are not hearing that connection, right? 
because again, there's, they don't have the same connection that I've had, right? And so it's not resonating with them. That's what happens with the gospel. It is, it is the, go- the gospel is presented and your question is, well, why isn't it that anybody would just hear the good news of the gospel and everybody gets it? It's because there is a rejection through our lack of humility and the spirit is a calm, quiet, silent, private voice that speaks to us. Which is why we say during a time of repentance, it's time to turn down the radio, time to turn off a lot of the sounds, because it's very difficult to hear God when we're hearing a lot of other things. God dwells, the scripture says that God dwells cloaked in darkness. He is found in darkness. He's not found in light, which is odd, right? Because he is inapproachable light. But how many of you have ever looked directly at the sun? And if you look directly at the sun, you understand you get this spot in your eye, and the thing you experience after that is complete darkness in reality. You see nothing because your eye has been transformed by the light, and God in his inapproachable light is actually cannot be seen by any of us because he's hidden in darkness, even though he's light, all right? So just carry that around for a while, okay? Uh, And so what we have to do is we have to turn down what is light to us so that we might go into darkness because what is light to us is actually darkness and God is dwelling in what we think is darkness. So you turn on the news, uh, you turn on the TV and you turn on the radio, all of that is brightness, it is light, it is busy. You've got jobs, jobs are busy, kids are busy, life is busy, everything's busy and that's all light to us but in reality it's darkness. And what we have to do is turn off the light to find God who's the true light. And so that is the difference between uh, someone who hears the word of God and believes and someone who hears it and doesn't. It is because the spirit did not come and dwell inside. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes us to know who God is and what he is and to believe it and to bear fruit. Remember this, God never intends to be a distant being that we just serve and obey. He intends to dwell within us. And so the spirit of God is sent from Christ, from the father, so that he would dwell in us so that we don't just know the word of God, but that we have it dwelling in us and we are a part of it. The Psalms are perfect. The the Psalms are, I was talking to somebody this past week about the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, you'll say, okay, there are certain Psalms that are like, we call them messianic Psalms or the Psalms of Christ, right? Psalm 22 famously. But as you're going through, there's these little verses here and there where you go, oh, that's about Jesus. Well, that's, a, that's clearly about Jesus. That's clear. And then you start to push back from the Psalms. And really, the Psalms is one just large 150-chapter prayer that Jesus is praying. And as you read it, it's like you get to step into Jesus' prayer and pray it with him. Because that's how God works. He didn't, he didn't just send his law out. He said, come and participate with me in the same thing that I'm saying and doing. So that when the end comes... You and I will, it'll look like, this is why the scripture tells us God crowns us, right? He will crown us because he'll be like, you guys restored the earth. Congratulations, you did it. And we will have the realization within us that as Paul said, I live, nevertheless, it wasn't I that lived, but it was Christ that was dwelling in me. And that's why Revelation says we cast our crowns at his feet and we celebrate that Christ has has redeemed and restored us. That's what Holy Spirit is. Now, I want to read this to you. Uh, because it, the best way to describe the Holy Spirit, although we have a lot of these details here, he unites us, he indwells us, he convicts us, he gives us gifts, he bears fruit. The scripture calls him the paraclete. It means the comforter, the counselor, the guide, the advocate, or very specifically one who comes alongside. Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, but I'll have someone come alongside you to teach you. These seem to me 
this is very practical in, in like, here's what it is, but it doesn't help me understand him. So the best way that I could, that I could tell you to understand the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit, when present, gives to the Christian joy. Now, joy is not happiness. Joy is not glee. It is not general mirth. It is not excitement. It's not emotionalism. Joy is knowing. It is satisfying knowing. It is contentment knowing. It is peace. It is rest. It is fullness. It is hearing the word of God and coming to a place of rest, as we read in Psalm 95, where we know. Let me give you an example. Uh, Have you ever been worried about something? Okay. Uh, And you didn't know the answer. And you didn't know the answer. And you didn't know the answer. And then you laid in bed at night and you didn't know the answer and you couldn't fall asleep and you were worried about it. And it was something, oddly enough, very small, right? It was something that it was small and was unlikely to actually happen, but you're worried about it. And then one day you get the email or you get the letter or you get the mail, you get the phone call and everything's fine, right? You know how the moment afterwards, there's that sense in you where the anxiety and the fear kind of almost, it feels literally like it drains away and it's gone. And, and within 10, 15, 20 seconds of that all being gone, you look back at it and you go, I can't even, I don't even recall the feeling that I had a few minutes ago because it's all gone. It is a complete sense of peace about that subject. The Holy Spirit, similar to that, as we hear the word of God, when he, when he speaks to us, when he speaks to our, our hearts, it gives us a sense of peace, okay? So let's take the song from example. Pastor Andrew singing, if that is in love, right? He's singing it, and some, someone in the church goes, oh, that sounds nice. And Pastor Andrew continues to sing, and he does a little yodel, and somebody goes, oh, I like that, right? And then he says, remember that, that line in the song where it says, um, there's no feeling like this, remember that line in the song? And you go, you're right, this feels so good. That's not joy, That is a sensory pleasure where the song itself sounds good, feels good, right? And I enjoy it. Everybody can listen to a boring sermon, right? And then you hear a song at the end and it feels better. Two reasons it feels better. The day's almost over, right? (laughs) And it feels good in my ears to hear Pastor Andrew sing, okay? That's sensory. That's not the Holy Spirit, okay? What's the Holy Spirit is when Pastor Andrew sings, um, do uh, you remember the song, The Love of God, right? The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. Uh, it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell, right? And then that chorus where it says, uh, um, uh, no, no, the, the verse is, could we with ink the ocean fill and where the sky is of parchment made? Where every, oh, see here, ready? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. No sensory right there, right? It's the story itself inside my soul is giving me joy. That's the Holy Spirit. So it's not an emotion. It is the fullness of the, of the reality of who God is. That's what the Holy Spirit is, because he doesn't leave us an orphan. Let me give you, let me give, let me give you this. I'm going to read these to you. You don't have to, but I'm going to bounce around through scripture for a minute. Psalm 51 is famously a penitential psalm. It's, the, it's Psalm of David when he, uh, when he killed Bathsheba's husband and took Bathsheba to be his wife. Um, and if you recall, Nathan the prophet came in and said, I've got a story for you, David, about a bad guy. What's the story, Nathan? Uh, there was a man who had all the sheep in the world that he could ever want. 
And then he looked and saw another sheep and he stole the sheep. And it was the man's only sheep. And David said, that's terrible. Who is this man? And Nathan looks at him and says, thou art the man. You had everything you wanted and you took this other man's wife and you killed him. And David's like, oh. And so he writes Psalm 51. And here's what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now listen, that's number one. David is struck with humility, right? That's number one. Purge me, cleanse me, I'm wrong. That's David, number one. But listen to what he says, number two. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is, the, this is that return, right? Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because David knows, I, the, 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 remember this, the law of God is just literally a piece of stone where it's carved rules, right? It's, it's, we're incapable. Every time we come up to this law that's in stone, we come against it and we break it. That's just, that's how the law works. And so David knows unless the Holy Spirit, unless God takes his word and puts it in my heart, he says, I'm just going to go back to doing all these same things. And so David's response is the only way out of this after I have remembered and humbled myself and repented of my sins. He says, now what I need is for you not to take your spirit from me. I need you to give to me your spirit. This is not a prayer, a prayer that we pray enough. We need to be praying in our prayers that God would give his spirit to us. Remember, Jesus says, if you ask, if you seek, and you knock, anything that you ask in my name, I will do for you. And Jesus says, uh, if you being evil are willing to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? That's how Luke phrases it. Give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him. And this is, I want you to, this is what I want you to understand. Um, God is like, here's another bad analogy, ready? God is like uh, an iPhone and it has 5G. You and I are like a typewriter. There's zero possibility of those two items communicating with each other, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who comes in between and takes the message of God to us and us to God. Otherwise, we continue to be this stony wall with the law written on it that we continually fail. And so David says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And listen to what his next sentence is. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So what we see here is we have a sense of humility. We go in, we ask God for his spirit. Then he gives us joy and we are back to celebrating. This is the, this is the cycle. Um, Mary, you know Mary, the mother of Jesus? If anyone in the room was like, no, I never heard of her. <laughs> oh, man, we got to go backwards. Okay, Luke chapter 2. I want to show you this little formula that keeps happening in the scriptures. So the angel Gabriel comes to uh, Zechariah, right? Zechariah is going to have a son named John the Baptist. So the angel comes to Zechariah and he says, Zechariah, I have a message for you. And Zechariah, the, the priest in the temple, is like, wow, look, there's an angel. That's not recorded, but that's what he said. And he says, wow, look, there's an angel. And the angel says, you're going to have a son, and this son is going to preach that the Messiah is coming. And, and, and Zechariah says this, how shall this be? But he says it kind of like, that's not possible. And what does the angel say to him? The angel says, because you did not believe 
your mouth is shut until the baby's born. Now, what did I say before to you? Words can only be carried when breath is existent. So what is the angel doing? The angel is showing that he's cut off from the power of the Holy Spirit. He can't bring forth any words. He can't bring forth any joy. And so Zechariah walks around for nine months until his baby is born completely empty of any words, silent, right? Angel comes to Mary and tries a, a second time. And he says to her, Hail Mary, full of grace. I've got a message for you. And he tells her the same thing, that she's going to have a baby. And Mary says the same words as, Zachari- as Zachariah does. She says, how shall this be? But she says it, the scripture tells it, with a sense of wonder. How are you going to pull that off? But she believes. Now listen to, what, listen to what happens here. Because she humbled herself and says, be it unto me according to thy word. That's Mary, right? Mary has this simple yes, be it unto me according to thy word. Because she says that, the angel says, remember what we said, humility, the spirit, and then joy. That's the, that's the formula in the scripture. So the angel gives a message. She humbles herself and says, how shall this be? Right? It's the simple yes. And what is his response? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Humility, the spirit of God coming upon us. And then listen to what happens. When she finishes, when she finishes speak, when, when she finishes being with the angel, she immediately arises and she goes to see Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth and Zechariah are having baby John. Zechariah can't speak because he didn't believe. No humility, no spirit, no joy. Mary shows up and gets to Elizabeth's house and listen to the way the scripture describes it. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth says to Mary, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Humility, spirit of God, we fill up with joy. And Mary, she's, Mary then responds in a song. Like Mary's living in a musical here. I don't understand how this works, but you and I don't, you know, I would love to live in a world that was like, uh, uh, you know, like Phantom of the Opera, where we're having a conversation and then I break into song. I, would, I mean, I would love to live in that world, but that's what Mary's doing here. Elizabeth says, my baby, John the Baptist, yet to be born, is filled with the Spirit and leaps with joy, the Scripture says. The baby has actual joy. A baby has no reasoning skills, but apparently a baby can still have faith and joy because God gave it to him. And Mary bursts out in the song and says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. In God, my Savior, that famous song that she sings, the Magnificat. Mary says this, and she he is uh, she is filled with joy, and so well, this is the this is the model that we have in Scripture. It is it is it is a humility, it is turning from our sin, it is the Holy Spirit coming, and then being filled with joy. If we go, I've got five minutes left. I'm going to go to the book of John for you because I want, to see what, I want you to see what Jesus says to uh, his uh, uh, apostles. In John chapter 14, this is the famous let not your heart be troubled passage. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me and my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way. This word, he says, no, you know where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. And from now on, he kind of draws this line. And from now on, you do know him 
and have seen him. So there's a difference between hearing the word of God and knowing the word of God, right? Again, I'll bring in the kids to this example. I mean, how many times have I said to them, to my son, you know, right? But he didn't know. He heard it, but he did not yet know it. Knowing is intimate knowing. It is having it be a part of who you are, right? Um, I don't have time for more examples, but Philip says to him, Lord, show us the father. Let me see it. Show it. And it is enough for us. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I not speak of my own authority, but the father who dwells in me. I speak these words. He tells them again, um, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. And then he goes this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Humility. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. So here it is again. Humble yourself. I will give you the spirit of God. He says, even the spirit of truth, which the world cannot receive because it can't see or know. You've seen, but you don't know. The world can't see it or know it. The world has no clue. It doesn't make any sense to them what we're doing right now. I said this to you before. Like if what we're doing is not real, I mean, most of the world gets two days off every weekend. And we're spending Sundays at church worshiping Christ. If he didn't raise from the dead, let's not waste our time. The world cannot see it and they can't know it. It doesn't make any sense because they have not yet been converted. And so we see this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me. He changes it before it was, I was in the father and the father is in me. He goes, but in this day that you really, really know, he says, it'll be the father is in me. I am in the father and you are in me. And there's just this oneness that is happening. And he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and the father will love him. And listen to this passage. I mean, this is huge. And we will, the father and the son, we will come to him and make our home with him. This is like, if you really think about that for a second, the fact that God, the father's goal is for the father and the son to come and live with you, to make his dwelling place in you. And that's why we talk about this phrase participation. We are participating in the life of God. When we go into the service, we hear the word of God preached to us. And as the Holy Spirit comes in inside and dwells in us, he plants these things and we are filled up with joy when we are first filled with humility and we begin to participate in God's life. This is why we take communion. This is my body. This is my blood. Participate with me. Baptism. This is my spirit. Participate with me. Prayers. Christ is ever praying and we are joining him in with these prayers. As Christ renews the world, he's doing it through you and I. And so it is a participation. This is the goal of God. And this is why when we finish class, oftentimes we say the love of, I forgot the words, the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Because if you take the fellowship out of that, it's just the father and the son and you and I are sitting here like, like rocks. It doesn't make any sense to us what's happening. So when you hear the word of God, and something about you says, yes, that's you experiencing the Holy Spirit. When you hear the word of God and something about you says, oh, this is good. That's the Holy Spirit. When you hear something from the word of God and you have peace, that's the Holy Spirit. Because when you hear something from the word of God and nothing happens, immediately 
you need to humble yourself because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, James tells us, right? So pay attention to church. Pay attention to what you hear when the word of God is spoken. If it is coldness that you experience, then step one, you need to humble yourself. If you obey my commandments, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he'll send. Humble ourselves immediately. David, humble yourself immediately. And then, Lord, give to me your Holy Spirit because in the Holy Spirit is gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. And when God gives us his spirit, then we will return. Remember, it's not us. It's him that's doing it. And then we will hear his words. Then we'll hear the songs. Then we'll hear the scriptures. Then we'll hear the preaching. And we will uh, be filled with joy. Uh, James gave me a good idea. I forgot about it. But um, uh, oh, read, read for yourself John 17 when you have a chance. I don't have time today. John 17, you have a chance where Jesus talks about knowing e- each other. And you'll see how this all ties together. Um, James gave me a good idea. Sometimes during this season, I'm like, I'm going to read more and I'm going to pray more. And then sometimes I'm like, I'm just too tired to do that. And I want to watch TV, but it was a good idea. Get the best of both worlds, despite the devil, uh, watch on, if you have Peacock or if you you get the app itself, watch the, the, the chosen. Oh man. I watched the chosen this past week. I rewatched the whole first season. I cried for five straight hours. It was amazing. I was, oh, it was so good. Um, anyway, so if you want to read and pray more, but you're struggling, you can, you can do a little cheat and watch The Chosen uh, or The Passion of the Christ or something like that, okay?